My prayer this morning, Father, is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. My mother has a love for musicals. In fact, when I was a little boy, you might remember, over in Haddonfield, they had a big tent. They, had a, they called it the music fair. And you could go in the summer and, and see musicals. And I saw, um, the first one I ever saw there was Oklahoma. And I thought the song, Poor Judd is Dead, Poor Judd, that just tickled my fancy. I was about seven years old. And I used to walk around the house in my little seven-year-old voice going, Poor Judd is dead. Poor Judd Fry is dead. My mom thought that was hilarious until one morning I, I woke up and my feet hit the floor and I burst out into, Oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, scared the bejesus out of my mother. She passed a rule. I think I might have told you about this. The rule in our house was there was no singing before breakfast. But one of the musicals that really tickled me when I was little was The Music Man with Robert Preston and Shirley Jones and Buddy Hackett, written by Meredith Wilson. It was on Broadway in the 1950s, and they made it into a movie in 1962. And if I could have grown up to be somebody, I wanted to be Professor Howard Hill. He was a music professor, and he came into town, you remember, to sell a boy's band. Because we got trouble right here in River City with a capital T, and that rhymes with P, and that stands for pool. And he sold instruments, and he sold band uniforms, and he taught them, you might remember, the think method. La-dee-da-dee-da-dee-da-dee-da, la-dee-da, la-dee-da. They didn't have to practice. All they had to do was think about that melody. Well, Mayor Shin in the town owned the pool hall. I don't know if you knew that in the story. They don't make that real clear. And he didn't like the fact that Professor Howard Hill was disparaging his pool hall. So he sends the school board members. You remember this. There were four school board members. And they came to get his credentials. Where are your credentials, they would say. And he said, I went to the Gary Conservatory, the gold medal class of Ought 05. The problem was Gary Conservatory didn't open until Ought 06. But they wanted his credentials. And you remember he got out his pitch pipe and he said, ooh, ooh, sing for me. And he turned them into a barbershop quartet. And every time they came to get his credentials... He would get out his pitch pipe and they would walk away singing, Lie to Rose or Good Night Ladies. They finally catch Professor Howard Hill and they're going to tar and feather him. I don't know if you remember this. And one of the young men who helped him with the marching band gets all the kids together with their brand new instruments, including young Winthrop, who was played by Ron Howard. And their instruments, and Professor Howard Hill is handcuffed with a baton, and he goes, okay, boys, with me. La-dee-da-dee. Oh, and it's terrible. It's like going to an elementary band concert. It's awful. But you can recognize the melody, and one of the dads shouts out, that's my boy. And all of a sudden, the guy in front spins his baton, and they turn to a marching band, and they have a big parade singing 76 trombones. 
The whole premise is based on his credentials. Is he really a professor of music or is he a huckster? And that's the question that the religious leaders in Jesus' day are asking. Who gives you this authority? What, how do you do this stuff? Where are your credentials? And I wish that Jesus had a pitch pipe and he could have turned them into a barbershop quartet and send them away singing. But that's not how it worked. If you're taking notes, I'd, uh, I'd like to leave this thought with you. Now, I grew up, my mom used to say, the proof is in the pudding. So I went looking. The whole phrase says this. The proof of the pudding is in the eating. See, that pudding could smell really good. It could have all the right ingredients. It could be cooked for just the right amount of time. It could look delicious. It could have the perfect consistency. But you really don't know if it's good pudding till you eat it. It means nothing that it looks and smells and uh, is made correctly. It only matters what it tastes like. That's what Jesus is really asking us to think about today. It's not whether we look like a Christian or we, we, we sound like a Christian or we go to church on Sunday. But if somebody were to examine our lives, would the proof be in the eating? Are we producing Christian things in our daily walk? Now, we talked about this on Thursday night at Bible study. The temple complex had several courts. And on the outside court was the court of the Gentiles. And if you remember the story of Jesus overturning the tables, that's where that happened. If you came from far away, you did not have to drag your bull or your goat or your sheep, you could, it was prescribed in scripture, you could bring the money and purchase one in Jerusalem for the offering that you needed to present. So in the courtyard of the Gentiles, it was like a big marketplace. Think the Berlin Mart with ducks and chickens running around. Then the next court was the court of the women. Jewish women and Jewish men were allowed to go through the court of Gentiles into the court of women. Only Jewish people were allowed in there. Then the next court was the court of the men. Only the Jewish men were allowed there. Then in the front was the holy place and behind that was the most holy place that we usually call the Holy of Holies. Jesus and his disciples, if you look back a little bit in this passage, Jesus has turned over the tables already. He came into the temple. He turned over the tables. He progressed through the court of the Gentiles, the women, and now he's teaching in the court of the men. So he has uh, taken over the area that the religious leaders would usually be the te teaching in. In other words, somebody came up, pushed me out of the way, and with their 12 friends, fishermen and zealots have taken over the microphone and they are now teaching. That sounds like fun. Let's find a church and take over their pulpit. No, not really. So that's the picture I want you to get. And this is where, hear this, Jesus probably was found by his parents when he was 13. Remember they went down? 
for the yearly sacrifice and they lost Jesus on the camping trip. And on the way back, Mary says to Joseph, have you seen Jesus? No, I thought he was with you. No, I thought he was with you. They go all the way back and they find him teaching in the temple. 20 years later, Jesus is in the same spot doing the same thing. It was, if you want to think about it, the Harvard of the Jewish world and Jesus is teaching. The question that they ask is very telling. If you have been following along and, and listening to the parables of Jesus and the miracles of Jesus, you should have an inkling in your back of your mind that he was something special. That he was touched by God and those of us who know him well know that he was God. But I want you to use your first century brain and I want you to listen to Isaiah chapter 35 verses 5 through 6. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf, deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame leap as a heart and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Does that sound like anybody you know? Blind Bartimaeus could see. Remember the man let down on the blanket through the roof? He got up and he walked. Jesus did all of these miracles. There were people running around the temple saying, Jesus healed me, Jesus healed me, Jesus healed me. And yet the religious leader said, by what authority do you do this? And if I were Jesus, it would have taken a lot of self-control for me not to go, have you read Isaiah? It's right there in black and white. And they were turning a blind eye. So Jesus asked his question to remind the religious leaders that they already ignored John's credentials. We already told, were told that Elijah was coming back, that he would wear the camel hair, he would have the belt, that he would go and baptize, prepare the way of the Lord. They already ignored message number one. Jesus says, why are you ignoring message number two? Especially when Jesus' credentials as a Messiah were so clear. So the parable of the two sons is not just for the religious leaders of Jesus' day. It's for us as well. Uh, I was talking to Glennie this morning. <laughs> the question that Jesus is really asking is, what are you wearing to the gym? So, you know, I go to the gym. I go regularly. On weekdays, they open at 6. And I'm sorry to say, on weekends, they open at 7. And I can't go on Sunday like I usually do. I had to rework my whole schedule. Don't worry, I got up and I walked two miles this morning. Unwillingly, but I did it. But at 6 o'clock in the morning, the people who go to the gym want to go to the gym. They're what we would call the regulars. And I got news for you. The regulars don't care how they look. They come in with torn shirts. Uh, Vicky actually made me throw pair of shorts away day the other day because it had it hadn't split yet but when you held it up to the light you could actually see the seam she said how long have you had these I said I I bought them in 2008 she said I don't know how you know that but they're going in the trash <laughs> right I don't care how I look at the gym at six o'clock in the morning they're stretched they're outdated they're out of style they're well used um if we were doing an opera and you saw my clothing that I wear to the gym, the word they use for it is distressed. 
right? It looks like it's been used. Well, it has been used. Why? Because I'm a regular. And I want you to hear this. A regular goes to the gym to work. I go to the gym, I do my workout, and I leave. Now, you may have heard me complain in January. We have another group that come. We call them the newbies. They made a New Year's resolution. That, res re that thing you make in New Year's. Right? I'm going to lose some weight. I'm going to get in shape. Bathing suit season is coming in six months. And the newbies show up. Now, the newbies, you can tell because they are decidedly mismatched. They got up early in the morning and they're like, what do I wear to the gym? And they might have sweatpants and an oversized T-shirt and they're mismatched, ill-fitting. They just slapped it together. Why? Because they're coming to learn. They're not like the regulars. The regulars, like myself, actually get annoyed at the newbies. Like, stop hogging the machine and move on to the next one. But the newbies come with a heart to learn. They want to become a regular. And then, my friends, we have what we call the posers. If somebody at the gym calls you a poser, it is not a nice thing. See, the posers come with brand new clothes. They are stylish. Everything matches, from their sneakers, to their wristbands, to their headbands, to their water bottles. And they walk around the gym so that everybody could see how good they look. Do they break a sweat? Do they touch a machine? Maybe. They'll walk a little bit, and then they'll drink some of their water from their matching bottle. Noom, forfeiting, matching, and they come to the gym to be seen. So let's review. The regulars come to work. The newbies come to learn. And the posers come to be seen. So if I were doing a parable today, I might not do the sun's raking leaves. I might do the people at the gym. Because Jesus is pointing right at the religious leaders and saying, you're posers. You've got the right clothes and you're in the right place and everything matches. Your tassels are showing. You've got your yarmulke, your, your little ear hair, the little ringlets are, are going down. Your beard's just perfect. And yet you're here for the wrong reason. You're here to be seen, not to work. What does this look like for us? Young pastor went to a church and he decided the best way to figure out how to minister was to give out a survey. So on a Sunday morning, he gave out a survey. It was a fairly large church. And one of the questions said, do you think there should be Bible study on Thursday nights? And 50 people said yes. He was an excited young pastor. 50 people, he said. 50 people are going to come to my Bible study on Thursday nights. One of the older, wiser deacons stopped by and said, Pastor, pretty excited about this Bible study coming up, aren't you? He said, yeah. He said, no, you asked the wrong question. He said, what? He said, let's redo the survey this Sunday, Pastor, and ask this question. Who would be willing to attend a Bible study on Thursday nights? And only 12 people said yes. I'm sorry to say, friends, that the church today, much like the synagogue and the temple in Jesus' time, was filled with posers. 
There's an old Japanese legend that tells of a man who died and went to heaven. See, I didn't know this. You know, I collect jokes about heaven. I'd never heard this one before. This is new to me. Heaven was beautiful. It was filled with lush gardens and glittering mansions. And then the man came to a room lined with shelves. And on the shelves were stacked piles of ears. A heavenly guide explained that these ears belonged to all the people on earth who listened every week to the word of God, but never acted on God's teachings. Their worship never resulted in action. And when those people died, only their ears wound up in heaven. It's like the doctor who was asked to go to a high school and give a talk on not smoking, an anti-smoking talk. And he took pictures of a, a lung, of a, a smoker, and he talked about the health risks and all of the above. And he kept saying over and over, fire on one end, fool on the other. Fire on one end, fool on the other. When it was all over, he went out to his car and he lit up a cigarette. And darn if the basketball team wasn't just headed out to the court. And you know what they shouted? Fire on one end, fool on the other. His credibility was shot. Well, I began with a musical. I'm going to end with a musical by, by way of telling you that this is the first musical in which I had an adult role. It was in college. It was My Fair Lady, and I played Alfred P. Doolittle. You might remember him as the guy who sang... I'm getting married in the morning. Get me to the church on time. He's Liza Doolittle's father. And they were amazed at the quality of my Cockney accent. What they didn't know is that my dad came over from London in 1959, and I had grown up listening to a Cockney accent. I just channeled my inner dad, and there I was. Now, you might remember that Liza Doolittle is a flower seller with an abrasive English accent. She keeps going, ow, all through the show. Now, as she develops into a refined lady under the tutelage of the, the professor, she meets a young man named Freddie. Freddie's a tenor. I got to tell you, when I auditioned for My Fair Lady, I auditioned for the part of Freddie, but I got picked to be Doolittle because of my accent. Freddie's a tenor, and Freddie is smitten with Eliza. Absolutely. She is the living end. She's the sun, the moon, and the stars. And there's scenes in the musical of Freddie just standing outside of her house, looking at the windows, singing this song. I have often walked down this street before, but I never felt the pavement leave my feet before people stop and stare I don't even care as long as I'm on the street where she lives we've seen young men like that right the, ah. well there comes a point where Eliza and Freddie are having a talk and Eliza sings this song called show me now I want you to listen with God's ears not with Freddie's ears Listen to what Eliza says. Words, words, words. I'm so sick of words. I get words all day through. First from him, now from you. Is that all you blighters can do? Don't talk of stars burning above. If you're in love, show me. 
Never do I ever want to hear another word. There isn't one I haven't heard. Don't talk of love lasting through time. Make me no undying vow. Show me now. James writes in his epistle, but prove yourselves doers of the world word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. The good news says it like this. Do not deceive yourselves by just listening. Instead, put it into practice. Friends, the church today is giving God lip service instead of life service. We're wearing our faith and we're not working our faith. It's not enough to bring your ears to church. It's not enough to wear and say the right things. John 14, 15, Jesus asks, do you love me? And then he answers the question himself. Keep my commandments. Jesus is asking, what do you wear to the gym or what do you wear to church? Jesus died for you. What are you doing for him? Well, I, I have three things for you. The first one is this. If you've not yet given your heart to Jesus, you don't understand what it is to not only hear the word, but do the word because Jesus has not yet entered into relationship with you. Then our leaders, our pastors, our deacons would love to pray with you about that decision. If you've been sitting in your chair going, ouch, this sermon hit a little bit too close to home. Today's the day that you can do something for him. Jesus says it's as easy as giving someone a cup of cold water. You don't have to save the whole world. You can start with one person at a time. Do something small for Jesus. And if that's a decision you want to make today, our pastors, our leaders would love to talk to you and pray with you and encourage you in that decision. Of course, if you need prayer for a personal issue, a loved one, or some counsel, again, our, prayer, our pastors and our leaders would love to talk and pray with you. Amen.